Well, this is a talk of wisdom versus rubies. And of course, this talk comes from scripture. I didn't come up with that title myself. Uh, this was a comparison that was made by uh, one of the most intelligent writers uh, ever to write. Uh, and we'll uh, talk about that, uh, uh, where that comes from uh, later on in this talk. Uh, looking up uh, the definition of wisdom, it's the comprehension of what is true or right coupled with optimum judgment as to action. And uh, so uh, that means it requires some intelligence and uh, it also requires uh, the frontal lobe of the brain, the area of judgment uh, is critically important uh, to wisdom. Now, uh, since we're comparing wisdom versus rubies, I thought I'd also give you the definition of rubies. There, you can actually see a picture of that. Uh, you, you saw a picture of wisdom, too, in the, in the previous slide, uh, but you may not have uh, recognized it as such. Uh, but uh, these are pictures of uh, several different uh, types of uh, rubies. And ruby is distinguished for its bright red color, being the most famed and uh, fabled red gemstone. And uh, besides its bright color, its most desirable gem is due to its hardness, durability, luster, and rarity. And thus, uh, rubies have a lot of expense. That was the uh, traditional reason why people would have these is a way of, a, of, of saving or accumulating their wealth uh, or at least being able to hold on to it when banks are failing, et cetera, and when they don't want to put it in someone else's uh, hands but want to uh, hang on to it uh, themselves. Transparent rubies of large sizes are even rarer than diamonds. I was looking today to see how much a ruby would sell for. And uh, the uh, large rubies um, that are well desired have sold for over $3 million a piece. Uh, and uh, uh, $2 million is not necessarily a high fee uh, for the right type of, uh, of ruby, uh, particularly the Burmese rubies are thought to be the most desirable. And so uh, this is a comparison that was made in scripture, wisdom versus rubies. And of course, in a time when the economy is failing, um, you have been hearing a lot about um, uh, commercials, if you watch television, about gold uh, as a way of hanging on to your money. Well, rubies actually are worth more than gold, ounce per ounce, at least the good ones uh, are. And so uh, if you really want to, um, uh, to ramp up the investment, so to speak, uh, when, uh, when the dollar is deflating, then rubies may not be a bad way to go as long as you're intelligent enough to recognize what's a real ruby and what isn't. And of course, uh, that's, uh, that gets into the wisdom part as well. Uh, there's a little bit of a crossover there uh, in dealing with this subject. One of the things I thought of in regards to rubies is why all this focus on the economy? Have you noticed that whenever you turn on a news station, this is the topic? Uh, you can't really uh, get uh, a news, a whole news um, cycle done with for a day without something being mentioned in regards to the economy. 
and uh, uh, the politicians, uh, as they're getting ready for uh, elections, uh, it's a subject that is palpable, one that uh, just about everyone wants to hear about in regards to the plan for the economy. And uh, it is, um, uh, in reality, as far as information is concerned, or at least that subject matter, we have had economic overload uh, when it comes to, uh, to news. Unfortunately, a lot of it is repetition, and uh, very little of it is actually insightful. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, it is a, a major focus today. Um, and of course, one of the reasons why some people may say, well, you know, this is a good thing to focus on because, you know, you have to have food, you have to have shelter, you have to have clothing, and so there has to be some sort of economy there in order to have these necessities of life. And my question is, are we really afraid of not having food, shelter, or clothing? Is that really what the fear is? in regards to why everyone wants to focus in on the economy? Do they actually believe that they're going to run out of food in a short period of time or water? They actually believe that they're going to have zero shelter uh, available? You know, when you, uh, when you actually talk to people like that, even though they're very concerned about the economy, they're not really thinking along those lines. It's not like the children of Israel where it looked like their food was just totally done and their water was totally done and there was massive amounts of humanity um, to be fed and, and to be watered and there wasn't uh, any sight for that around. Now I can understand their concern a little bit more than our major concern in regards to the economy today when these are not the things that people necessarily are all that fearful of. What it really boils down to is many people have this in their mind. It's kind of a truism in their mind. And that is income equals happiness. And if my personal income goes down, then my happiness is going to go down. And thus the economy has to be something that we're concerned about because it might affect me. It might affect how much money is coming in and if that ends up affecting me, then it's going to adversely affect happiness. So really, this major focus on the economy is simply due to this belief that income equals happiness. Has this been studied, by the way? Do you think incomes and happiness are related? <laughs> uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that, uh, too, in some of the uh, studies. Another um, thought is that assets equal happiness. And so it's not just personal income, but how much you accumulate in regards to stuff, or in regards to properties, or in regards to houses, etc. And this will then equal more happiness. And uh, there's a pervasive belief uh, in these things, even though there's very little to actually um, substantiate belief in those uh, uh, two things. Uh, there's, thus we have this massive attention and focus on money in our society today. And uh, it, is, um, uh, it is one that you can't escape uh, because of this major focus on money. And have you noticed all the gold commercials? We mentioned that earlier. Uh, and uh, there's just, uh, that's uh, part of this obsession 
and major focus in regards to money, preserving the money that you have, making sure it doesn't lose value over time, and the different strategies uh, that can be there, including uh, buying um, gold or silver, or as we mentioned, if you're very intelligent, maybe rubies. Uh, and of course, uh, this focus on the economy has a lot to do with personal decisions that people make. And in fact, um, you, people might have made decisions to not come here tonight simply due to the fact that it would cost money to stay in, in these rooms, etc. Now, it's not necessarily that they didn't have it. It's just that they had a cable bill to have to pay. And, uh, and they had other priorities. You know, they had, um, uh, you know, different uh, aspects of, of, of priorities that they were focusing in on. And, uh, and so because of this um, uh, focus on money, people make personal decisions sometimes to exclude themselves from events that could really positively affect their personal happiness, but they don't recognize that because it's going to negatively, adversely affect their um, accumulation aspect of things. And so uh, uh, personal decisions often involve this aspect of money. Whether you accept a new job often has to do with whether there's going to be a raise or not associated with that. And this is the measurable event that people always look at. How much are you going to get paid per hour? Or what is the salary? Uh, one of the big questions that's there. And I can tell you um, it's very interesting uh, when you're in a, a position like uh, I've been. Of course, I've uh, run uh, a multiple worldly organizations, but also as the president of Weimar, uh, one of the big interests I have when I'm interviewing a prospective candidate is how quickly they're going to bring up the pay uh, aspect of things. Uh, and uh, it, uh, it happens relatively quickly, uh, much more uh, frequently than I would desire it to have it happen. But yet it is one of those things that uh, people are basing their decision on in regards to uh, actually money. And this is one of the reasons why God put these commandments there. You know, there are several commandments that have to actually do with money. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the last commandment, the tenth commandment, has to do with it as well. What's the tenth commandment? Anyone remember? Thou shalt not covet. And of course, it tells you what not to covet. Possessions. People, position, are mentioned, the three Ps. And uh, some have called it the sin that is not committed. Uh, because it's not really an act. You know, uh, to covet is a thought. And it actually proves that the Lord is interested in our thoughts. A lot of times people think that Christianity is just about behavior or action. No, God wrote a commandment that is directly, um, uh, not even tangentially related, but directly related to what you are thinking. Uh, and of course, the other ones are, are, are very much related to what you're thinking as well. Uh, but this one is totally about the thoughts. It has really nothing to do 
um, in regards to uh, actions. And of course, it's not only mentioned in the Old Testament, Christ mentioned it as well. He said, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And of course, um, we've heard about this, that no matter how much you possess, at the time that you die, none of those possessions are going with you. Uh, you know, you just see the hearse going down the street. You don't see the house. You don't see, you know, uh, even bank accounts, etc., cetera, uh, traveling with the individual uh, in the hearse. And uh, I've heard, um, uh, and, and you know, it, uh, it, being in the physician world, we see a lot of death and dying. And of course, a lot of focus on the individual in regards to money and in regards to you know, having enough, et cetera. And uh, uh, sometimes, uh, in fact, I, I kind of agree with this cartoon that I saw it, uh, not long ago where there was a couple of men at one of the, uh, uh, their friend's funeral and one was shaking his head and saying, you know, poor Tom. He died and he didn't have a dollar to his name. And the other guy says, that's great retirement planning. Uh, so uh, <laughs> uh, in other words, uh, don't feel sorry for him. That's the best way to die. Uh, and of course, that's when you have put your money to use during the time uh, that you are, uh, you are alive. And so, uh, in reality, we shouldn't be about accumulating. We actually should be about actually utilizing the money uh, for a good purposes. And some of those purposes have been mentioned uh, here tonight. Well, billions of dollars are spent every month on the West Coast. Billions of dollars, this is well proven, are spent every month on the West Coast to try to get you to covet. Did you know that? In fact, there's entire firms that spend millions of dollars to try to figure out how they can get you to covet what they're producing. Uh, and uh, it is, um, uh, and of course, you know, when we get into this, this aspect, when we really focus in on Ruby, so to speak, to the exclusion of other things, uh, it can get us, um, you know, it really it helps you to realize kind of how sick our world is. Why is it that they want you to covet? To buy, to buy what they're producing. We just mentioned that. But why do they want you to buy what they're producing? Because they're coveting. <laughs> and they want to be able to get what they're coveting. And so in reality, it's this vicious circle of who's going to take greater advantage of those uh, that are coveting. And of course, people don't even realize this, uh, of, of really what it's happening and looking at it from that perspective. And of course, we do need to look at the other side as well. Is there anything wrong in trying to improve or progress, I've heard individuals say? Anything wrong with that? The Bible says, if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he had denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And so there isn't anything wrong in regards to trying to improve or trying to make sure that there's food on the table and there's shelter and clothing and those sorts of things. The problem lies in wanting excessively the things of this earth. 
And that's where we get into the subject where it requires wisdom of needs versus wants. Do, do you need a new car? You know, there's some people, I've heard them say, I need. They'll, they'll see this car and they'll say, I need it. Is that true? <laughs> I mean, one of the ways in which you can find out whether that's true or not is just ask yourself the question, how long can I go without this and still live? <laughs> you know, is it going to adversely affect my health or my longevity? If it's not going to adversely affect your longevity, then it's not a need. It's a want. And uh, we need to uh, realize, one author said, covetousness is described by a person that uses his life looking for things in the mud of materialism. Notice that term, materialism, and the other M word that went with it. We really ought to associate those two things together. Uh, they are uh, needful uh, to be associated. The problem with covetousness is it makes us feel unsatisfied. That's one, one of the reasons why, you know, the Lord wants us to be satisfied. He wants us to be happy. And if we're coveting, we're going to have that unsatisfied feeling. It's just going to be there. And the problem with covetousness is we want more and more. We think if we get this, then we'll be happy. And then we get it, and we're happy for a little while, and then all of a sudden we want something else. And of course, in that way, we destroy our lives. Covetousness will destroy happiness and lives. Someone asked Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest individuals in the United States several years ago, how much is enough to make you feel satisfied? He answered the question. Here's his answer, if I can get my clicker. Just a little bit more. And of course, we know where that cycle leads to. Well, let's take a look at the science of happiness, speaking of a satisfied life. And since this is a young people's group, I thought I would talk a little bit about PEA. It's called phenylethylamine. It's the love chemical. It's a chemical that speeds up the flow of information between nerve cells. Professor Robert Fryer of Ferris State University in Michigan explains falling in love involves phenylethylamine, or PEA, which causes a person to be less likely to be aware of the faults of the other person. <laughs> PEA gives us that euphoric high, that feel good, everything is wonderful, this person can do no wrong. And of course, this is the the feeling that is described in the world as falling in love. Now, PEA, uh, the love chemical, by the way, uh, it's touching on something that is very much related to happiness, and that is true love is related to happiness. It's, um, we are creatures um, that unfortunately don't know how to love. Uh, we have to be taught how to love. 
but PEA is one of those things that just comes about as a result of what's called chemistry. We've often seen people who fall in love with somebody and ask, are you blind? Well, yes, they really are blind. And almost no one can tell them at that stage of the game because phenylethylamine is pouring out in large quantities. I'm just thinking whether I should tell this story. <laughs> uh, and uh, maybe I shouldn't have signed that this, can think, this talk can go on audioverse. <laughs> and so uh, since I signed that it can go on audioverse, maybe I won't tell the story. Uh, but, uh, uh, but nonetheless, um, I think you, uh, you can get the idea necessarily without a story. In regards to PEA, who wouldn't get a rush with these chemicals running around? This also explains why many people need to be in love. They are addicted to that rush of chemicals. And these are individuals that are really addicted to relationships that are going to lead them nowhere. And in fact, will lead them down the road of perdition. There's a lot of people that are addicted to this PEA. Uh, this chemical high can last from a few months to at most four years. The average time it lasts in a relationship is 18 months. Pretty typical relationship lengths are about the time the passion starts to wind down after this high wears off. Uh, now that doesn't mean that love can't continue to grow if it's based on principle. And if it's based on following God's will, love will actually grow and deepen beyond the PEA dropping off. There's other things that can kick in besides PEA uh, that can be very beneficial. Researchers track more than 24,000 people, asking participants every year to rate their overall life satisfaction from zero, totally unhappy, to 10, totally happy. The average boost from marriage was small, one-tenth of one point on the scale, researchers said. There's a lot of people, young people in particular, that think if I can just marry someone that I am in love with, I am going to be happy ever after. And this is going to be the secret to true happiness. But one-tenth of one point on the scale. The study, which took 15 years to complete, also found that people who were already satisfied with their lives before marriage tended to what? Stay married longer. In other words, if they were happy with their lives before they got married, they were much more likely to have a successful, happy marriage. People who get married and stay married are more satisfied than average long before the marriage has occurred. Most newlyweds experience a brief emotional bounce after their wedding, but they eventually return to the same outlook they had on life before they tied the knot. We found that people were no more satisfied after marriage than they were prior to marriage. Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, March 2003. And this underscores a truism. To be happily married, we must first be what? Happily single. And we need to be actually very happily single if we want to be very happily married. Uh, and uh, it is, uh, um, and of course it's kind of interesting when it comes to uh, Bible times uh, that 
um, Christ even advised people to be happy with their singleness. Advised them to, to the, such a degree that he mentioned those who are able to remain single and be happy probably should stay single, etc. And so uh, those are quotes that are never quoted at a marriage ceremony uh, in a church. Uh, but it is... Um, uh, it is something that, uh, that is quoted uh, there in the Bible. But it is uh, something that is true. Happiness is not found in marriage. Uh, happiness really is found in, as you'll find out, following the Lord's will for your life. And if that means getting married, it will increase your happiness. But uh, it, it really is in Christ. There is any subject, this is the pen of Ellen White now speaking about marriage, if there's any subject that should be considered with calm reason and unimpassioned judgment, it is the subject of what? Marriage. Notice those terms. Calm reason, unimpassioned judgment, as you are considering marriage. Now this is a marriage that will actually produce happiness. Now she also tells us what percent of marriages are very happy and are exactly the way the Lord designed marriage to be. Anyone want to guess what percent it is? 1%. It's 1%. 1 in 100. 1 in 100. Uh, if ever the Bible is needed as a counselor, it is before taking a step that binds persons together for life. But the prevailing sentiment is that in this matter, the feelings are to be the guide. And in too many cases, lovesick sentimentalism has taken the helm and guided the bark to certain ruin. And uh, I can tell you a number of stories uh, that, uh, where I've seen this happen time and time again. And I can tell you chemistry or PEA is not something to base your, whether you're going to get married or not on. It needs to be based on things that are far greater than that. Calm reason without passion. This is something I just uh, told a young girl this week, 23 years old. She's um, working for us. Um, a beautiful uh, young girl has a lot to offer a young man. Um, energetic and cheerful and strong work ethic and uh, has a lot going for her, no, no boyfriend, and uh, she's uh, going into uh, mission work, etc. Um, she was uh, praying in regards to the goals, or really her, God's plan for her life uh, this week, was fasting and praying over it. And uh, also praying, even though there's no one in mind in regards to a marriage partner. And uh, after I realized what she was doing that day, taking off her fasting, et cetera, uh, I happened to be uh, talking to her about some, uh, several things, but I asked, do you have a list? A list what? I said, a list in regards to a marriage partner. She says, no, why would I want to do that? <laughs> and, uh, and she said, did you do that? I said, yeah. I had three lists. I had the necessary attributes of the woman that I was going to marry. These were so necessary that if she didn't have one of them, it was a deal breaker. 
And uh, there were multiple things on that list. Now, I had no one in mind at the time when I came up with this. Uh, the second list were things that were very important, but if she was lacking one or two of those, it wasn't a deal breaker per se, because if she had a majority of them, it was, it was great that she would have a majority. And then the third list was, if she has any of these, it would be nice. <laughs> so in other words, I did put my wants. So I had my needs, and I had my uh, in-betweens, or really, things that were very important, and then wants. And uh, my parents got a hold of the list, <laughs> and they looked at I wrote it when I was in college. And, uh, and they looked it over, and they were commenting and smiling some, and then my sisters were hearing this, and so they grabbed the list. My sisters are older than me and said, Neil, this proves it. You are never, ever going to get married. <laughs> and I said, I may not ever get married. But if, this, if she doesn't fulfill this list, then I'm going to just be happily single. Uh, and I was fine with that. I didn't think about it for quite some time. Um, and uh, it was several years later uh, that uh, I came across the woman that had all of the things on the necessary list, all the things in the majority of the list, the majority of the things in the want list, but I didn't recognize it. Uh, I hadn't gotten out my list recently, uh, but because she didn't have all of the things in the want list, it was unrecognized. Uh, fortunately, my father helped me out uh, and uh, started to have some serious conversations with me, and I respected my father, and so I... I followed through with what he asked me to do. Uh, and uh, it was, um, uh, it took, um, you know, and of course this is one of the things. Uh, sometimes you can uh, get in the way uh, because you might have, you know, it took some intelligence to come up with a list. It took some research to come up with a list. But you also have, wisdom is applied knowledge. And uh, I was lacking at wisdom, in wisdom at that time. And it took a total of five years uh, for that wisdom to come about. Uh, but uh, it finally did, and uh, I'm happily, hap very happily married. Uh, Eric and I believe we're the one, of the, uh, one, of the, one out of a hundred. In other words, one percent. We know there's others out there like us as well. Uh, but our love, we've been married for 25 years and it has grown deeper and it's a happier experience every uh, week that we're married. Uh, but it didn't come as a result of just PEA. Not that the PEA wasn't there. Uh, you know, uh, the Lord doesn't ask us to marry someone that we don't have any feelings for. Uh, but uh, the Lord does ask us to have those feelings in proportion to the principle of love that's there. Well, back to the happiest. Who is the happiest? There are studies done on this. 
that are published, men or women? Think men are happier than women? How about this one? What age is the happiest age? All right, well, we'll, uh, according to Pew Research Center survey, the happiest age group is men 65 and older. (laughs) The least happy men 18 to 29. I uh, gave a talk in, in a large business corporation the other day to their executives entitled Life Begins at 60. And one of the things that I mentioned is in my own patient population, I've had many people, 65, 70, uh, have significant health problems. And they said, Doc, if I knew if I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. Uh, But, you know, the happiest days are actually yet to come. And I know this is a youth conference, but I'm giving you something to look forward to. Uh, And... uh, (laughs) And that is the, uh, the aging process, if it's done right, can produce a lot more happiness. Married men are happier than singles. How about women? <laughs> you know what the studies are showing in America? The average single woman is happier than the average married woman. But yet, when there's a relationship forming, what gender is it that's trying to push the marriage button first? Yeah, often it's the women that are trying to get it towards marriage. But yet, studies show the average single woman is um, happier, actually, than the average married woman. Now, we should clarify that. Uh, When you look at the scale, the unhappiest women on the planet are virtually all married. And the happiest women on the planet are virtually all married. Uh, and so you take a, very, a, a woman that's in that r- relationship with a very good marriage, and they're going to be happier than a single woman. But if you take a look at the average of them all, the average is that the single uh, woman is happier. But that just underscores that women should not get married until they have that list. Uh, And uh, they have those principles that are there, and they have analyzed it, and they've gone through it, et cetera, and they're clear on it. College grads are happier than those without a college degree. So uh, again, the importance of education. This is uh, something that the Pew Research Society couldn't understand. You know, this is a secular, organization. People who are religious are happier than those who aren't. Uh, And uh, again, the the secular society thinks happiness is related to forgetting about God. In fact, that's what a lot of these worldly parties are about. They're simply for the purpose of trying to forget God, thinking that they're going to have happiness in that way. And of course, it leads to even greater unhappiness. But people are religious, are happier. People who work are happier than those who don't. Uh, Also kind of a paradigm uh, for many people. 
who think that their whole goal in life is to get enough accumulated assets so that they can quit working and so that they can enjoy um, you know, being able to not work and still have food on the table and having things in abundance, et cetera. Work is very much related to happiness, particularly productive work. Sunbelt residents are happier than other U.S. residents, and of course that has to do with the sun uh, itself. And then it even went into politics. This may surprise you. Republicans are happier than Democrats, <laughs> but both are happier than independents. <laughs> Uh, and so many people pride themselves in their independence uh, in re regards to politics. Uh, those are often the most frustrated uh, individuals. Happiness of Americans the last 30 years. Do you think they're more happy or less happy than they were 30 years ago? Less happy today than they were 30 years ago. You know, the interesting thing is there's more fun things to do than ever before in human history. But yet there's more unhappiness than ever before helping us to realize these fun things don't prevent it or uh, prevent depression or uh, actually treat it. Americans are less happy today than they were 30 years ago thanks to longer working hours and the deterioration in the quality of their relationships with friends and neighbors. Much of our happiness does have to do with social things. Person with no close friends or social relations with neighbors would have to earn 320,000 more each year than someone who did to enjoy the same level of happiness. And there's a lot of people making sacrifices to earn $10,000 more per year, or $15,000 more per year. And wow, this job's gonna be 20,000 more per year, I'm gonna have to work a lot more, and I'm gonna have to do this, and I'm gonna have to do that, and et cetera, but it's worth the $20,000, is it? Really? 320,000. And while the average American paycheck has risen over the past 30 years, its happiness-boosting benefits were more than offset by a drop in the quality of relationships over that period. CNN also gave a report on happiness not long ago, said the next time you're deciding between ice cream and cake, buying a car or taking a trip to Europe, accepting a new job or keeping your old one, you should remember two things. First, your decision is rooted in the desire to become happy or at least happier than you are now. Second, there's a good chance the decision you make will be wrong. Why is that? Daniel Gilbert summed up our failings this way. People have a lot of bad theories about happiness. Our culture employs us to buy bigger, newer, better things. Research shows stuff does not buy happiness. By and large, money buys happiness only for those who lack the basic needs. Once you pass an income of $50,000, and of course this is talking about coastal income, um, in the middle America it'd be less. Once you pass an income of $50,000, more money doesn't buy more happiness. With that in mind, Siegel said we should pass on buying lottery tickets and find small things we can do every day that bring us joy, whether it's going for a walk or cooking a meal or reading a book. And so getting the simple pleasures, and of course that's what this weekend is about in a way, this wellness weekend is about happiness and simple pleasures. And by the way, these gambling places, are there any in Oregon? It is, uh, um, you know, it's, it's really a sad thing, but it, it's a tax on people that aren't good in math. I mean, it's simply, I mean, uh, <laughs> Uh, simple math ought to tell you where that's going to lead. 
And of course, what the end, what the uh, the um, gambling joint wants to do is figure out if you're the first time there, and then give you a big winning, because it's that first time feeling that you remember, and you will end up spending all that you gained on that first time and way more, uh, and be in a in a, a derelict situation uh, as a result. And so, uh, you know, this whole focus on money and where it leads to um, is really uh, pretty sad. And of course, it gets back to confusing needs with wants. Now, let me just be clear. It's okay to be happy as long as we get there the right way. And uh, getting there the right way can produce some significant benefit. 24 university students performed two tests of attention. Positive moods were induced by playing box Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 3. Negative moods by a Prokofiev piece played at half speed. <laughs> to produce a neutral mood, participants read a series of facts and figures about Canada. <laughs> we have any Canadians in the group? All right, I don't see any hands, so I didn't offend anybody on that. It wasn't my study, by the way. It was just... When they were in a positive mood, participants scored higher on a remote associates task, a measure of what? You're actually more creative when you're happy, particularly if you get there the right way. If you get there the wrong way, you're not creative at all when you're happy. But when you get there, this is a simple pleasure, the right type of music. And by the way, the mood elevates whether you like classical music or not, by the way, when you listen to Bach's Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 3. You know, there, there's positive things about good music that can happen in, even if your taste isn't necessarily in that direction. Uh, and so creativity significantly improved. When feeling happy, Anderson explained, your attentional window is actually bigger. It's like looking through a big window versus a small window. Now, when you read the facts and figures about Canada, you were better at accounting. Uh, and so the detail work is not the same as creativity. And so there's a time to, you know, just be reading facts and figures, et cetera, when you're having to do detailed work, but there's a time for the creativity as well. Well, this bridges, is, bridges uh, this talk over into the wisdom part. We've been talking about rubies and the things related to rubies, which is the covetous of possessions, people. We didn't deal much with the position part of things, but it's often related to the covetousness of possessions. But, you know, the people part was part when we were talking about the marriage. And one of the things that has come up with that, um, some people in our um, circle have seen the happy marriage that Erica and I have had and have also seen Erica's, uh, I know a, a friend of mine saw Erica's very positive attributes uh, in regards to character and those um, sorts of things. And I remember him coming up to me and saying, I am very jealous. I wish I had your wife. <laughs> now, uh, that uh, uh, um, was not a, a positive statement to me, not because I was fearful at all, uh, <laughs> but uh, it was not a positive statement in regards to um, him, that whole aspect of things of coveting people. And of course, if, if, we had, if he had stuck to principle as I had, he could have had just as happy a relationship. 
And in fact, in fact, if his life had become principled even then, his happiness could have increased um, significantly. And so um, we need to be careful. This whole thing of rubies or the things related to rubies is going to end up with unhappiness and a dissatisfaction. However, wisdom will result in happiness. And wisdom is related to intelligence. It's a little bit more than intelligence, but intelligence is your capacity to learn, retain, and apply knowledge. It's often measured by an IQ test, which is an imperfect measure of it, but probably the best measure we have, related somewhat to academic performance. College graduates' first job after graduation has been found to be related to their IQ. But there's also some other advantages. This was a long-term study, 862 men and women, uh, followed since childhood, starting in 1922 until 1986 they were studied. The researchers found that up to the cutoff point of 163, participants' risk of dying during a given period decreased as their IQ increased. There was an example. Those with a childhood IQ of 150 had a 44% lower risk of death than those with an IQ of 135. IQ will help you to live longer. It's one of those longevity attributes. Why is that? Remember, intelligence is your capacity to learn, retain, and apply knowledge. There was another study that showed that the higher your IQ was at age 10, the more likely you were to become a vegetarian at age 30. Uh, and of course, again, that is your capacity to learn, retain, and apply knowledge. Uh, an aspect of, and that's one of the reasons why longevity improves uh, as a result of IQ, uh, is because of that. But there are other uh, advantages as well. Uh, and one of the things, uh, IQ, of course, is related somewhat to temporal lobe. Temporal lobe is where our memory is centered. We have to retain the knowledge, so you want to have a good temporal lobe, one of the good reasons for memorizing scripture. It's also where our musical abilities are at. Occipital lobe has to do with intelligence. That's spatial orientation, architectural skills, reading map skills. Parietal lobe is calculation, division, subtraction. Your vocabulary, your speech is very much in the parietal lobe. Einstein had a little larger parietal lobe than most others. Cerebellum is where your athletic ability is. But the wisdom area of the brain is actually the frontal lobe of the brain. And this is the area where we apply that knowledge, uh, and which is very much the, um, the wisdom aspect of things. And of course, other creatures have brains. Um, cats have some intelligence. They don't have a lot of wisdom, though. 3.5% of a cat brain is in the frontal lobe. And of course, wisdom is related to morality as well. In fact, um, uh, secular neurology textbooks tell us the frontal lobe is the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. Uh, and not much morality in a cat if you've seen it torture its victims to death uh, and seemingly enjoy it. Uh, dogs have a little more frontal lobe, about 7% of their brain is in the frontal lobe. Uh, and uh, they're able to exhibit more empathy, more love for other creatures, even not of their own species. Uh, chimpanzees have the most of any other animal creature. But what sets us apart from the rest of the animal kingdom 
is our frontal lobe size. 33 up to 38% of our brain is in the frontal lobe. It's what gives us the capacity to accomplish advanced planning and thinking. It's what gives us the ability to choose our own destiny. I think this is what the Lord was talking about in Genesis where he said, let us create man in our own image with that frontal lobe capacity. It's one of the reasons why human beings worship because they have that frontal lobe. You don't see dogs and cats coming to worship services um, or, uh, or really desiring necessarily to come to worship services. Uh, they, they can't really figure out what's going on there. It doesn't resonate with them. They don't have the frontal lobe capacity. But human beings do have that frontal lobe capacity. Now, you might say, well, atheists don't come to worship. Do they have a frontal lobe? Um, they do, um, and they're worshiping. Uh, the question is, what are they worshiping? That, that's the difference in regards to what they're worshiping, who they're worshiping. But uh, frontal lobe is a major uh, part of this aspect of wisdom. And it's why the last chapter in the book of the Bible, Revelation 22, uh, verse 4, says, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be where? In their foreheads. That has to do with the frontal lobe of the brain, the wisdom part, where spirituality, morality, and the will is centered. So uh, uh, I know we, uh, I have uh, four talks that I'm going to be giving this weekend. This is just one of them. So I'm not uh, pressured over uh, uh, having to cover all of the material in regards to wisdom. Tomorrow morning's topic is going to be in, entitled um, Total Reformation, uh, Body, Mind, and Soul. So I'm going to be going into really part two of wisdom. We covered more of the Ruby's part and, uh, and kind of uh, deflated that aspect of things. But we'll be going through the wisdom part. But I'll just close with this uh, text from uh, Proverbs I think it's the um, 12th chapter, or maybe, I think it's Proverbs 11, verse 8. Solomon makes the comparison between wisdom and rubies. Which one did he say was better? Did he say just a little bit better? Wisdom is far above rubies, he said. And then he even said this that there's nothing that can come close to comparing to wisdom. In fact, he says, anything that you might desire, just think of something that if you had the choice, material-wise, that you could get tomorrow. You know, maybe it'd be a, a private, maybe it'd be Air Force One, you know. <laughs> If I could have, own Air Force One and, and take it wherever I wanted to, whenever I wanted to, that's what I would choose. Or maybe it'd be something else. Maybe it'd be some home on the coast that you've seen that's beautiful or whatever. Whatever it is that you desire and have a strong desire for, he said, that is nothing in comparison to wisdom. Nothing in comparison to wisdom. And so one of the things that I'd like to leave you with here you know, this week, and I know our audio verse time uh, is, uh, is up, and if they need to end things, that's fine. But this week, uh, I'm the uh, president of a, uh, of a uh, group in, um, in Ardmore, Oklahoma, 
And of course, we have a manager that runs it, and I'm just the, the more peripheral um, uh, president that kind of makes the big decisions. But we had a, a girl that was impolite, not to me, but to one of the physicians last week. And that physician had had enough of this impoliteness and wrote to our HR director and it went above the president, or not above the president, but above the manager because the manager had already had issues with this individual. And that person that was impolite was given a one-day suspension without pay, an RN. She was going to lose probably about $300 uh, is what she would make in a day's time. Uh, and uh, it was devastating to her to the point that she um, had this entire plan out. She wrote out this big piece. She went into an apology with the physician. She spent 45 minutes with this physician to try to get her, him to reverse his request for that something be done. In regards to the impoliteness, I mean, she just went all out because she was going to lose $300. And, you know, it was, probably, it was some good motivation in regards to changing her behavior, et cetera. So it was, you know, it was nice to see that there was a desire to change. But you wish that desire would have been changed, the desire to change would have been based on the desire for wisdom and not the desire for rubies. If the desire is rubies, it's not going to be a lasting change. Uh, and if you think of what people will do for just a little bit more money, and if we would have that same protection in regards to what we're doing that might adversely affect our wisdom. You know, just think of what entertainment television does to wisdom, for instance. Even caffeine. Uh, we could get into the, some of the science of that. But it adversely affects the frontal lobe of the brain. And so why wouldn't we go all out to protect our asset that's far greater than Air Force One, and it's the frontal lobe of our brain. If we have that type of care in regards to wisdom, that type of concern in regards to wisdom, that type of desire, that I'm not going to do anything that is going to make my brain less effective, then we're on the road to happiness, satisfaction, and fulfillment. Wisdom is far above rubies. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have created us with these wonderful brains. We thank you for giving us this frontal lobe, the seed of spirituality, morality, and the will, the area of the brain that we can communicate with you and where your Holy Spirit can incline us and influence us positively. We pray, Lord, that we might review our daily activities. And if there's anything getting in the way of us advancing and improving in our brain and frontal lobe capacity, we pray that you would point that out to us and give us the true desire for wisdom and help us to put rubies in their rightful place not as a top priority, not even in the top five priorities of our life, uh, but down in the road in a way that those rubies will only be able to influence us positively as they're used to expand wisdom. We thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. 
Go with us now throughout this Sabbath day and, and uh, incline our hearts heavenward. May we, instead of being in the mud of materialism, focus in on what uh, is in the heavens. Focus in on the stars above and on your plan for our life. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.